March 27, 2023. It was a Monday afternoon, and Jay Karana, a junior at Harvard College, was waiting at the Charles MGH subway station for the red line to take him back to campus. So he's waiting and waiting, but the train never comes. Jay was trapped in Boston, and suddenly he gets an email. The email reads Phi Beta Kappa. It invites 24 students, including Jay, to join the nation's oldest academic honor society. From Plimpton Street, this is News Talk. I'm Frank So. Today on News Talk, the junior 24. 24 juniors who, out of the entire graduating class of 2024 at Harvard, were selected for Harvard's chapter of Phi Beta Kappa. Stay with us. I'm Rahim Dihamid, class of 2025, and I cover the Faculty of Art and Sciences Administration for the Crimson. Hi, I'm Ryan H. Donwin, class of 2025, and I cover the Harvard and Cambridge Police Departments. So I wonder if you could set the scene for us a little bit. What is Phi Beta Kappa? What did the application process look like? Yeah, so Phi Beta Kappa is the nation's oldest academic honor society, primarily focusing on the liberal arts. So the engineers have, have, have another one. Well, Phi Beta Kappa is the liberal arts honor society, founded, I believe, in 1776 at William & Mary. Harvard is the Alpha Iota chapter of Massachusetts, Alpha being the Harvard part and Iota being the Radcliffe part. And then when they merged, they became Alpha Iota. And they basically select for academic excellence, academic breadth, academic depth, of human knowledge in that sense and of, of, of the liberal arts. Students who have um, who make the GPA cutoff, uh, which is generally all A's or all A's and one A minus, are invited to apply around sometime in April. And they have um, a time frame of two weeks to secure a letter of recommendation from a close faculty mentor, submit a transcript, and write two short essays uh, in order to apply for the Alpha Iota chapter of Phi Beta Kappa. And they basically just wait. They, they marinate and they stew. And after <laughs> some time, they, they receive emails notifying them um, whether they were inducted or not. What impact will this award have on these 24 recipients? If you ever look up someone particularly famous on Wikipedia or something, it might say that, oh, so-and-so graduated from such-and-such school where they were such-and-such and and were Phi Beta Kappa. So it's an award that people generally recognize. I don't know what that really entails once you actually get it, but it is something that will be flagged for you in a biography of you when it's written, something like that. I think it's a stepping stone and also a circle to form connections within fields of people who are incredibly passionate about ideas and improving the world in scholarly pursuit. So many of our students talked about wanting to meet other Phi Beta Kappa inductees, making new friends. From my understanding, it's really like a, it's a society, so it's like a community. This is Trey Sullivan. I think that one of my favorite things about being at Harvard in general and about being in different spaces at Harvard is like how different but passionate people are about different things. Uh, And so this seems like just another space where like there are people from the humanities like me, but also the social sciences and the natural sciences who are all super passionate and engaged scholars in what they do. So being able to meet all of them and being in community with them will be super cool. I think Phi Beta Kappa serves as a stepping stone for making those connections. How did the recipients react to the honor? This is Will Nichols. I think for me, it's just a recognition of both a lot of hard work, uh, but then a lot of 
really good mentorship and good connections among faculty and friends and other people here. Um, from my end, I also noticed a pattern um, of students talking about their different mentors and their support network. So it really takes a village for students to excel in their academic journeys, and it's, it's not a one-off thing. So these 24 juniors were selected as the first of three waves of Phi Beta Kappa recipients that the class of 2024 will honor by their graduation. How does this three-wave process work? So 24 students are selected in, their, in the spring of their junior year. That's the first round for each, for each class. The following semester, in the fall of the senior year, 48 more students are selected. And then Phi Beta Kappa rules say that no more than 10% of each graduating class can get the, the recognition. And so leading up to commencement, that means that around 96 more students end up getting uh, the recognition as well. The uh, round for the first 24, the junior 24 and the uh, sort of senior 48, are a little bit different than the final 96. It's not exactly the same process for the first two rounds as it is for the third. Looking ahead to commencement, then, will these students be recognized especially for their academic achievement? What can we expect to see commencement day? So on Tuesday, May 23rd, Phi Beta Kappa will have a series of literary exercises with orator Adam Falk, and, who's a theoretical physicist and president of the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, as well as poet Natalie Diaz, a winner of the 2021 Pulitzer Prize for post-colonial love poem, and that's going to take place in Sanders Theater. So they do have an additional recognition on commencement. See, this is a role that selects for academic rigor, academic clarity. Where are these students looking to enter into? Are they looking to enter into academia, into industry? The ones I talked to mostly wanted to go to grad school. What they wanted to do after that, they didn't really specify. Um, some of them did said they might want to go into academia, maybe. But the majority, if not all, of the five that I interviewed said that they were interested in some form of grad school. I agree with that. Um, even looking at the histories of past Phi Beta Kappa inductees, a lot of them have gone to grad school and pursued PhDs or are now in faculty positions. So there does seem to be a correlation there. What were your impressions talking to these students? These students are some of the most academically passionate kids I've ever talked to. Uh, they really, really care about their research. It's, 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 it's always nice to talk to somebody who's so passionate about something, whatever that may be, and these students are very, very passionate about their research. I, I found that a lot of the Phi Beta Kappa uh, inductees tried to take different courses than what they're required to take, just something out of their norm. Even if they were a hard STEM concentrator, for example, they, um, I'm, I'm thinking about Samar. It was created on fiction. Um, it's not something that had any of my requirements. I did not need to take it uh, at all. Like, I didn't need my pre-med requirements, didn't need English, didn't need, uh, sorry, didn't need chemistry, didn't need history uh, of science requirements. But what it did was it broadened sort of my understanding of scholarship, right? That was Simar Bajaj, who took a lot of English classes and writing classes in addition to what his concentration requires. So I think it really entails just stepping out of your comfort zone and really taking advantage of all the curiosities Harvard has here. So we asked the students what the award meant to them. How would they go forward with this honor? Uh, sure, yeah. So I guess, I mean, it's exciting to get the award. I'm not sure if it actually changes anything. This is Kaylee Hauschnicht. But yeah, I mean, I love learning. I love physics, which is what I study. I always will, with or without this award. But I guess it's good to be recognized at being good at the thing you love. I think these students, for them, the work they do is much more important than, than the award they get. And the award is, of course, lovely. There, No one's complaining about being Phi Beta Kappa. But for them, I think I could tell that it was the work, and they found just to find the work very, very fulfilling. Yes, many of the interviewees 
for the story said themselves that they would still pursue what they pursue with or without the award and this was an addition to what they already have done. Next, Harvard's second highest governing body and how the elections that get to decide who gets to be on it just might shape the future of Harvard. Once a year, all 400,000 Harvard alumni, these are people living in all corners of the world, all lines of work, all ways of life since leaving the yard, they find a note in their inbox that asks them to circle back for this one thing that'll shape the trajectory of Harvard. That thing? cast their vote for who gets to be on the Harvard University Board of Overseers, the university's second highest governing body after the Harvard Corporation. Today, Crimson writers take a look at this year's candidates for Harvard's Board of Overseers elections. My name is Miles Herzenhorn, and I am a reporter for the Harvard Crimson covering central administration. Claire Yen, and I'm a central admin reporter. And Marina Q, and I cover alumni and donor relations for the Crimson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Many students, when they see the title of Board of Overseers, have next to no idea about what that means. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who they are and what they do. Sure. So um, the corporation is full of powerful people who really make a lot of central decisions for the school. And the Board of Overseers is advising the corporation on what decisions they think should be made, which sometimes includes things like a preliminary vote that will then be you know, sent to the corporation. So the Board of Overseers is um, a body of 30 people. They are all Harvard alums. That is a requirement to be on the Board of Overseers. So every, every year, there are five spots that are usually open in the Board of Overseers, and the 400,000 alumni are allowed to elect, um, directly elect, uh, members to that board. So the eight Board of Overseers candidates we have on the ballot this year are Sylvia Burwell, Jeffrey Dunn, Arturo Elizondo, Fiona Hill, former Harvard Alumni Association President Vanessa Liu, Shristi Gupta, astronaut and physician Robert Satcher, Luis Ubiñas, and of course, write-in candidate Harvey Silverglade. How has this year's race shaped up, and what do the candidates look like? Yeah, yeah. So this year's candidates, a lot of them um, have an emphasis on diversity. Um, that's one thing I've noticed. And a lot of the candidates actually have multiple degrees. Like I, I've interviewed uh, Shristi Gupta uh, Nari Simhan. She gained four degrees from Harvard. And um, there's very there's people from a variety of different backgrounds. Jeffrey Dunn, currently the president of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And before that was uh, working with the Sesame Workshop. He has won 38 Emmys, has worked with Nickelodeon as well. Um, Louis Ubiñas, who is a nonprofit leader and, you know, used to be with the Ford Foundation, now is chair of the Statue of Liberty Ellis Island Foundation, um, and so has done a lot of work in sort of expanding human rights and human opportunities around the world. And then we also have Arturo Elizondo, who is a young entrepreneur, and he came to Harvard, was a government concentration, uh, went to intern for uh, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, and then at that time decided, I'm actually going to be uh, going into biotech and doing food entrepreneurship. So we have a wide range of people who are really coming into the Board of Overseers with different um, 
focuses, different priorities, uh, and different life experiences. You know, they all went to Harvard and maybe even went to professional school at Harvard, but since then their lives have taken them to so many different places. They all have different professional experience. And so, you know, each of them truly believes that they'll bring something different and unique to the table. Mm. I wonder if we've seen any trends in which candidates tend to be successful. Previous Harvard Alumni Association presidents who stood for election to the Board of Overseers have found success. For example, the current president of the Board of Overseers, Paul Choi, was um, a former president of the Harvard Alumni Association himself. And we have one candidate who is a former HIA president. Um, her name is Vanessa Liu. And um, she, she most recently served as president um, between July 2021 and June 2022. Um, so she's the most recent past president. And it's safe to say that that background that you have as president of the HIA and the familiarity you have with the alumni base puts you in a pretty good position for an election like this. Our sort of outsider in this race is Harvey Silverglate, who previously tried to get onto the ballot um, by getting enough signatures on a petition. It didn't quite work out for him, but he's still staging a write-in campaign. So we're looking to see how that goes for him. Mm, for yeah. sure. I'm curious then if there if you've seen any commonalities, shared issues, or patterns that have emerged from this year's race and this year's candidates. Yeah, I think in terms of of commonalities, a lot of candidates are really looking for Harvard to be a leader on the global scale. Um, many of them have identified that the world is changing at a pretty rapid pace. Some of them point to technological change, specifically AI and how that's cropped up on college campuses. Others are thinking about, you know, financial aid and admissions, especially race-based admissions as we wait for this SFFA verdict to come down over the summer. Some of them have also been endorsed by the Coalition for a Diverse Harvard, um, which is, you know, sort of an alumni group focused on more diversity at the university. For the most part, they're all looking, they're very cognizant of the fact that the Board of Overseers is an advisory role, but they're all hoping to bring additional voices to the table, whether that be alumni of several of Harvard schools, from the college to the business school, or people who, you know, came here on full financial aid and really want to advocate for those students, or any variety of, of identities and interests, whether that be, you know, being a global leader on the climate scale or, you know, making a college education like the one you can get at Harvard more accessible to all kinds of people or making sure that students, you know, are really thriving while they're here because people have pointed out that from their own undergraduate experience, it can be tough and it can be intense. And so caring about student well-being, et cetera. I wonder how the election process for the Board of Overseers works. What does the election process tend to look like? Every year, the Harvard Alumni Association Nominating Committee comes up with a list of people that they want to put forward as candidates to the Harvard Board of Overseers. Now, in the past, it was easier to run for the Board of Overseers and get elected without the help of the Harvard Alumni Association Nominating Committee. There was a group named Harvard Forward. And they were an alumni advocacy group that essentially put forward candidates to appear on the ballot through the petition process. They managed to get four candidates elected. Now, 
while this was going on, the Harvard Corporation and the Harvard Board of Overseers tweaked their own rules to limit the number of elected members of the Board of Overseers who were elected through the petition process. So that means that out of 30 members of the Board of Overseers, only six at any given time can have been elected through the petition process. It was criticized by um, quite a few people at the time in the sense that you're limiting the ability of the alumni to choose their own candidates. 400,000 Harvard alumni get to vote in this process each year, which sounds like quite the big undertaking to organize an election that could potentially involve hundreds of thousands of voters. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about how ballots are cast and how does the entire election process come together? Right. So voting opened on March 31st and it will remain open until May 16 at 5 p.m. So um, voters can either vote online or by paper ballot. But the most important thing is that completed ballots have to be received by 5 p.m. Eastern time on May 16th. And once a voting closes in mid-May, there will be a period of time when the votes are counted, and we should expect to receive results around the time commencement happens. I'm curious, how will this race impact the average Harvard student? If you're walking around the yard each day, what should you be looking out for from the Board of Overseers process? So current students are not allowed to vote, but they will become members of the alumni community themselves in a few years. They will become voting members, and they will be impacted both as students and as alumni by some of the decisions that are made by these folks. I think that anyone who wants to be engaged in the university and understand how the university's governing structure works should be paying close attention to who these candidates are and who is getting elected. Newstalk is hosted by Frank S. Zoe. Our producers are Gina H. Cho and Frank S. Zoe. Our multimedia chairs are Joey Huang and Julian J. Giordano. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Music in this episode comes from freesound.org. From 14 Plimpton Street, this is News Talk.